welcome to episode 67 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, and with me, as always, is Collins Mullen. Collins, how's it going? What's up, Chris? How you doing? Not bad. We just finished up. We just got back from SCG Charlotte, my first SCG Open in uh, over a year. At this yeah, point. welcome back. Yeah. <laughs> that, it was it was good to have you back, just kind of in the scene again. Yeah, it was really it was really fun to be there. Just yeah, it it, it is after coming back from European GPs, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. astonishing like how high of a percentage of people in the room you know. Is <laughs> yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I love the Opens pretty much for that reason is that I know that I can just sit down with a bunch of people and probably know a lot of them and yeah. and hang out. It's it's good times. Yeah. Yeah. Next time we'll have to, you know, drive together and share a room, you know, one of these upcoming <laughs> tournaments because yeah. I felt like I barely got to see you. I know, I know. It was it was unfortunate. Uh, you know, we had dinner and everything and that was that was good, but for sure we, we ended up taking different rides. Yep. So how was Storm this weekend? Awesome. Incredible. I loved it. Yeah. You um, started X2 on day one? Yeah, yeah, X2 going into day one. I won the first two rounds mm-hmm. and then kind of started a spiral of losses from there and <laughs> ended up in the last round IDing with Jonathan Rossum for top 64. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, fine, fine medium t- day two finish. All right. And so what, what record did you end up with? Because I uh, conceded the last round with, you know, it, we went to time and I oh, sure, sure. how big of a mistake that was. Yeah, I, I so, just decided not to look at the standings <laughs> after that. The way it worked out for this particular tournament was we ID'd into 9-5-1. and one. Yeah. Um, and that was good to, I think that like a couple of X6s made mm-hmm. top 64. Okay. But only if you had like really good breakers. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I was 9-5 and we went to time and I probably, I don't know. I, th- this, the question of whether or not to scoop is always kind of a, a tough one to solve. There. Maybe a topic I mean, we can hit later on in the podcast for yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe something we can talk about. It was um, a little bit of a weird situation yeah. that, that I'll hit on, but I definitely don't want to talk about too many things. <laughs> Uh, with our guest here, who had a better weekend than either of us put together. Yes. So please welcome, for the first time to the podcast, mean Valakut girl herself, Becky Adelman. Hey, Hooray! guys. What's up? <laughs> how are you? How is how is being a two-time Open Top 8 competitor? It's pretty surreal, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really nice having that validation. Saying, like, you know, it wasn't a one-time thing. It's something that I can do again. And maybe again in the future, I'll get a little bit further and get a trophy home at some point. <laughs> yeah. Did you, so was this your first time in the semis? I don't remember what happened in your last top Yeah. Eight. I'm okay. pretty notorious for losing immediately in top eight in SCG events. <laughs> All of the classics, immediate losses in top eight. Felt pretty good going into it. Me and Jadine both knew the matchup was pretty skewed. Yeah. Um, Jadine on Jund, of course. Yeah. So the matchup's good, but it's always terrifying playing as someone who's like known for their deck because we all know moderns about knowing your deck and mm-hmm. the matchups and how to play them. And I knew she was no, she knew what she was doing. So you know, it never feels good playing as someone so confident. Yeah. I mean, I've definitely had games where I played against opponents and could tell they didn't have a, a plan for the matchup, mm-hmm. and I assumed that was not <laughs> at all how yeah. that match went. Yeah, for sure. And the confidence gives you a lot, right? Because if you're confident going into the match, then you you know feel confident about what you're going to do post board, the plans, and how it's going to play out, and everything. Yeah. And sure. even you know even if it is a bad matchup, you know you can still if you believe that you have a good plan, you can enact that. But you know you were in a better position. You had a good matchup, and <laughs> so yeah, definitely. And Jadine beat Valica earlier in the Swiss. I don't know if it was day one or two, but mm-hmm. she stole a win off of them. So yeah. it's not impossible. Sometimes mm-hmm. they just 
have six, seven glyphs and you whiff <laughs> a turn or two and right. you die. Yeah. These lightning bolts are not getting the job done here. Yeah, definitely. Right. For sure. Yeah, Jadine was running Fulminator Mage, which I think a few gen players might be moving away from, just because of, uh, like, Assassin's Trophy is there for Tron to disrupt them. But Assassin's Trophy doesn't do anything against Valkyrie. Not really. It's like a two-mana ghost quarter as far as, like, the escape shift plan goes. Yeah. Say you have, like, a Primeval Titan in play, or just, like, you're trying to stay alive through Valkyrie triggers, like, I can see it becoming a problem there if they just ghost quarter your Valkyrie away and they're attacking you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when I saw her sideboard and I saw the three fulminators, I was like, "All right, you still came here to be big mana. Like you, you had a plan coming in here, and I need to be aware of that." Right. So when she like aggressively mulligan the six game two, like you could see her keeping her like looking at her hand and going, "Man, this is fine against anything but Valka." It's just like the way that she looked at it. <laughs> yeah. So when she went to six, I was like, "Oh, that's kind of rough." She flips like a lily off her bob and plays a tap raging ruby and no second black source, and I'm like, "All right, it's just." Isn't going her way. Mm-hmm. She she did have surgicals in the board, which is you know that's that's the only place where assassin's trophy becomes relevant in that yeah. sort of matchup is if you can just mise the combo really early in the game. Mm-hmm. But it was crazy. I was really worried about the surgicals in the board, and then after our game, she was like, you know, I don't even think I'm supposed to bring in surgicals in this matchup because if I don't see a fulminator or a trophy, the surgical is not going to do anything. All you have to do is not play it. Right, right, right. Yeah, so, like, thought seizing a win-con that you, like, get out of their hand helps, especially when there's only so many in the deck. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, if you don't hit Valka and it's still in the deck, you can lose the game. Right. So I was surprised when she said she doesn't, or she's thinking about not bringing it in. Uh, I don't really know if it's right. I trust her. You know, she's the Jung girl, so. Yeah, I mean, if anybody's going to get that right, it's probably Jadine. Yeah, for sure. Um, And I'm always for not bringing in surgical in places where it's, like, kind of borderline. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, Becky, I know that you, you know, pretty actively play around cards like that post-board, right? Mm -hmm, For sure. I've missed land drops plenty of times before because I'm just terrified of playing my Valakut into something I'm not comfortable with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I think that since it's one of the easiest ways that you can lose, it's just kind of worth to take Yeah, play around the outs that you have Mm -hmm. or play to the outs that you have, you know. So do you want to just sort of tell us the sort of story of the tournament, like from, you know, usually when I'd ask this question, it'd be like, how did you go about selecting your deck for the tournament? <laughs> <laughs> kind of a different... Yeah, Valkyrie. I mean, you know, what made you think of that? Um, I actually was getting ready with Bant Spirits for like a month and a half. Okay. Um, I had a friend who had all of the deck except Vials. I had Vials, uh, played it for like a month and a half, maybe a little bit longer. Once Creeping Chill became like a thing... I just couldn't be dredged with Bant Spirits. I don't know if the match is just like not fantastic or I'm just not confident enough with the deck to play it, but I just kept losing to dredge. Mm-hmm. And I was like, man, I don't, want, I don't want to make up excuses to play my deck, but being able to play Relics and Angers in the main and play a deck that I'm comfortable with felt like a good idea. Sure. Well, I know Xan x 3 the Open and then at dinner... He made sure to let everybody know that he was never playing Spirits again. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I, I much, can... <laughs> much to the demise of Cat Light, who was sitting there not happy about it. His but... list is pretty different. They, um, Zan made it pretty close. I think he had like a win in. He ended up at 11th, yeah. Yeah, so that's pretty close. I know Cat had a rough day. I think she ran into Tron twice, mm-hmm. which was another reason I picked my deck. I was like, man, I feel confident against Tron and Dredge, and I think that's where I want to be for this tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And after I played against Collins, it was just back to back Mono Green Tron. Yes. Like, Seems we'll fine. See. Deal. We'll <laughs> yeah. Snap that off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Becky and I did play in the tournament. We we played on camera in one of the rounds, uh, and I was playing Storm, so I was like excited <laughs> about the matchup. And I got our game one despite not 
going for it when I had lethal one turn. <laughs> yeah. But then games two and three, Becky just, you know, had disruption for my mana creatures, and that slowed me down enough for her to, you know, resolve some win cons. And I think that that's typically how Storm loses in that matchup. Yeah, Storm stumbling like a turn or two is usually just how we get there. Yeah. Try to play enough disruption to value that extra turn. Because mm-hmm. that's just how it is. Like, we're a turn four deck, they're a turn three, they got remand. So really, we're just getting time walked over and over again, trying to cast, like, this four or six mana spell that's just not going to resolve. Yeah. Um, so when I... That, um, our game three, when I drew the Colony Heart Expedition, mm-hmm. I was just hoping to draw a land, Cascade Shift, and win the game right there. <laughs> yeah. And when I didn't, I was like, oh man, this Colony Heart doesn't do anything, this is so bad. And I played it, and I was like, alright, I guess I'm just gonna kill Brawl and pray, hope, <laughs> well, no, yeah. hope I don't die. When I passed the turn that turn, I was like, alright, well, you know, if I'm dead, I'm dead, and that's fine, mm-hmm. but... But other than that, I should be able to win next turn. But then I, you, you, when you played the second Conley Heart, I did the math out, and you could, what, crack your fetch land, pop the first Conley Heart for the lands to trigger the second Conley Heart to trigger Valakut to kill yeah. my creature at instant speed, which was super clutch. And yeah. I was like, oh no, this is going to be tough. <laughs> it was really nice, because I was able to yeah. hold up the mana for the Relic too, and I also didn't have to add the Storm count, potentially. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of nice little factors that came out of it, but... Yeah. Still pretty scary. Oh, for sure. Yeah. We were actually talking... I was talking with, with Dylan Donigan about this. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on the Tron side. I, I didn't play against Dylan or anything, but we were just yeah. talking about, like, the post-board games of Tron versus Storm. And, mm-hmm. you know, Tron has a much slower clock than Valica, so it's yeah. even even tougher for Tron. But um, we do have a similar sort of, like, interaction suite post-board of a couple of spot removal spells and relics of Progenitus. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dylan was talking about how he's starting to think that maybe bringing Empty the Warrens in against Tron is actually right because it's so hard to, you know, grave shot for 20 without access to your graveyard. Yeah. Um, and if Tron is has, like, three relics and two t- cages or something like that mm-hmm. post-board, that can be really difficult, which then would affect the way that Tron has to board, because if <laughs> yeah. they go off for an empty and you just say, all right, O-Stone, then that's a completely different sort of game. But, you know, I'm automatically taking all my O-Stones out in that matchup. Yeah. And so I think the- most Tron players are, for sure. Yeah, it was definitely a big, like, debate that we had. And I, when playtesting, I had success with Goblins mm-hmm. post-board against Tron, just because they just, like, didn't ever seem to be prepared for it. Yeah. And, but just kind of, like, theory crafting, I was like, they have a ton of answers for this, so right. they and, should. And even if they have boarded most of their sweepers out, like, what if they're just on a lot of mana and make a big walking ballista right. and slow the clock down yeah. or something? Yeah, for sure. So I ended up in the tournament not boarding in goblins, mm-hmm. but I definitely think, in hindsight, that that was wrong, just kind of based on the ways that the game's played out. We're already cutting our gifts for pieces, mm-hmm. And pieces is definitely harder to creep shot kill somebody with. It's yeah. like it's like pretty tough to assemble a a, a, a kill off of just pieces mm-hmm. with and and grape shots. So yeah, we figured that like goblins would be like fine to have an early goblin start and then get in a couple of chip damages. So you and then to... we can like grape shot them off after that. Potentially. Sure, sure. And and yeah, you know, Oblivion Stone and and Ugin are definitely cards that Tron players are gonna take out of their deck. Mm-hmm. It feels like post board so. So yeah, I think that moving forward, I definitely will try to continue playing goblins in that matchup. Mm-hmm. But right, yeah. and I don't know how much that influences you know what I'm supposed to do right. yeah, yeah, post board. Yeah. It definitely makes for an interesting game three once we both kind of like have seen our opponents' plans. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's tough. I I mean, just these sideboarding levels in modern, I think, is like one of the areas where I need to improve the most. Mm-hmm. Like this weekend, 
I played against Jund round one with Tron, which, you know, should be good, but I had multiple losses to Jund on the weekend. And part of it was round one, I got beaten because my opponent brought in Damping Sphere. And that kind of shook me a little bit because I had mostly seen like the trophy surgical plan as mostly what was going on for those matchups. And uh, so then against my next opponent, I brought in a bunch of nature's claims and he was not on the damping sphere plan. And I had taken out relics for that, which, you know, turned off my protection from surgical extraction and I got surgical out of a game. <laughs> so I just, I leveled yeah. myself pretty hard with some of my sideboarding there. Yeah. I think that that's, it's crazy because that's kind of coming down. Like, I feel like a lot of modern is coming down to that, those kinds of dances where we have all these like really interesting narrow hate cards on our sideboard mm -hmm. but like sometimes they they're like different ones that attack you at different angles depending on what deck you're playing yeah. people are bringing in answers to your answers yeah yeah that's yeah. just how it is i know how when i play against tron i almost always see a nature slam whether it be on my prismaticum and my colony heart or the damping stores i bring in mm -hmm. so it's definitely not a secret <laughs> tron players know that is out there yeah. but it feels good when you have just like this aggressive turn four or five kill and their hand has nature's claim in it with no target right it feels really good i i lost a match my 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 last round uh i lost to jess guy i lost a lot of pretty good matchups and won a bunch of pretty bad matchups this <laughs> yeah. weekend oh same uh, yeah. <laughs> my losses were to dredge tron twice uh -huh. jund and uh, and Valka. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I think that all, all of those are supposed to be favorites. Right. And like those were like some of the reasons that you, you brought the deck. Yeah. Absolutely. Because you wanted to play against Dredge. But we thought that, you know, I, I thought that a lot of people would be on Tron as well. So I, I modified my sideboard a little bit for the mirror. Mm -hmm. um, and Tron is one of the reasons you bring Storm. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. When I was figuring out my last like four sideboard slots, mm -hmm. I ended up going with two cages. Arnish Tyrant, and I believe the third um, third Damping Sphere. Because mm -hmm. it's like, man, all the decks I expect out of this weekend, I feel confident against. The only one I know I can't beat is Storm. So I, <laughs> yeah. I need to have like seven cards to be able to beat Storm game two and three. Yeah. And got very lucky to beat Storm twice throughout that tournament with those cards. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, worked out. Sure. Like, you, you made a decision to... to be as prepared as possible for that deck. Yeah. Right. And I didn't expect a lot of Storm, but it's different when you know Caleb and Collins and Dylan <laughs> and all these people that you know are going to day two this event. Sure. Because they're confident players. You, you just know, and you know you're probably not going to be able to avoid playing it some the whole tournament. Mm -hmm. And that's a... It kind of sucks to know that, but <laughs> it helps because it helps you metagame a little bit. You know which, what to expect, and it's nice to have that plan, like you guys said. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I've, I think I've noticed this like weird trend where we have these... like matchups in modern that are supposed to be really skewed like a classic example is like tron versus jund mm -hmm. but jeremy has told me as a jund player he beats jund pretty consistently he beats tron or sorry yeah he 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 plays jund and he beats tron pretty consistently mm -hmm. and i think that it just kind of comes down to the fact that he has a very good plan of what he needs to do in the matchup mm -hmm. uh, he knows it's really important to have a two mana threat into a fulminator mage and he believes that with that combination and some other form of disruption, as long as his opponent doesn't have natural Tron through their at, then he's going to win, right? Sure. So having those plans, and I think Becky has a lot of similar like philosophies around her matchups, where you know even before this tournament, I've known that you consistently beat Storm. <laughs> it feels like every time you're playing against Storm, you come out with a win. And I think that's probably just because you you've you've played Storm yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And you you know how you know it's choke points and everything, and you know how to attack it post board. So yeah. you have that like really cohesive plan. And I think that because 
because that's true, your your matchup I think there is probably much better than you might think it is, right? Yeah. When when we got paired, I was definitely not feeling good. I was like, all right, I'm out of this tournament. <laughs> like, I can't win. <laughs> oh yeah, um, for sure. So it was. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. The one thing about the matchup is, like you said, if they stumble once, you have this turn four pressure. Right. Like, they've got to either kill you or they have to find remand. And even if they find remand, there's no guarantee that they're going to be able to kill you the next turn. So just being able to apply the pressure of, you need to win the game, Mm -hmm. is really nice. Yeah. But most of the time, they just do, because they're so consistent. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And that's just kind of what's always impressed me out of you as a Valakut player, is that you... You know, even in your bad matchups, you just, like, have such a good idea of how the games are going to play out post-board. Mm-hmm. And you're totally willing to, like, adapt and, and make that work for you. So. Yeah. I was surprised when I saw you brought pieces in. Like, yeah, is that well, specifically for the relic and cages and stuff? Yeah, right. Okay. It's it's really tough to win with gifts through a um, through graveyard hate. So if you have just, like, Grafdigger's cages, it's it's kind of tough to to like gifts and then set up a win through that because you can mm-hmm. put the key pieces in the graveyard, right? Yeah. So so I like the the pieces just as a method of being able to play through that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely still had gifts in their post board. I kind of had both. It was like hedging a little bit. I was on three pieces, two gifts okay. because the gifts piles of like Noxious Revival and two pieces to like wipe away to, and stuff to deal with the damping sphere is like really important. So, yeah, because Damping Sphere, it's 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 kind of awkward post-board in that matchup for Storm because typically against an effect like Damping Sphere, we, re- we lean pretty hard on goblins. But goblins is just <laughs> never going to win in that matchup, so yeah. it's not they're not even worth bringing in. Yeah, I do leave one Sweltering Suns in just in case an mm-hmm. empty is brought in. It also sometimes kills a dork or just draws a new card. So there's usually, I usually have the one sweeper in there as long as I've sure. registered Sweltering Suns in the event. Yeah. Plus, you can just kill me, you know, if I yeah, try to make right. some goblins and pass that's the turn. Right. A full yeah. turn slower. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. I remember, like, back in Columbus, my round one was Storm. I had a mainboard relic in my list, and mm-hmm. he casted a bunch of goblins, mm-hmm. and I killed him. So, yeah, yeah that's, right. I definitely agree. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the fear from the Storm player's perspective. So. This is not how my game ones against Storm. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, I only played against it once in the tournament. I lost the die roll, and he goes, turn two guy. I go, drawn piece. He goes... Ritual, 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 gifts ungiven. Yeah, that feels like my luck. I feel like I almost always die on turn three. Yeah. I mean, if they, if, if you, if you're Storm and you play, gob- you play like an Electromancer or a, a Brawl yeah. on turn two and just pass yeah. and cross your fingers, that typically means that the person's dead the next Probably. Time. Yeah, if you untap um, with the dude, it's yeah. pretty much GG. Right. And especially against Tron, like, you know on the play your turn two guy game one is, is yeah. coming back right. unless they hit their, like, one of dismember that I didn't even play because I didn't think it was yeah. worth it. And <laughs> I mean, there's a surprising number of, of matchups where I'm just going to slam a creature on turn two. Definitely. Tron, Valica, these are all humans. You know, there's a ton of matchups where you're just like, dude, go! And you just like, <laughs> cross your fingers and hope. Yeah. Well, especially if you got a backup dude, then there's real, no real oh, cost yeah. to doing right. that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes you have redundant pieces. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I know you were pretty happy with your sideboard for the weekend. I, yes. I I saw that you brought in every every card at least twice, is what you yeah. said? Yeah. It was pretty great. I think Damping Sewer was the card I brought in the most throughout the entire tournament. Mm-hmm. I played against Tron three times and Storm twice, and mm-hmm. then Amulet Titan in the semifinals against Will. So Damping Sewer was MVP that weekend. I yeah. didn't expect to bring it in as much as I did, but I was very pleased that I did, because mm-hmm. those were the matchups I expected. So it felt really good that I had a good read on the tournament and what people were going to be playing. So it felt good. The yeah. Grafdigger's Cages were, I believe, second. Played against Dredge only once, which was weird. I got a Gorgos Vengeance round one. <laughs> um, 
Welcome to the field of modern, yes. where sometimes you just lose on turn two. Um, so that was kind of brutal. That was a heartbreaking start. I was like, all right, this tournament's already not going too great. Uh, got round two, lost round three, got round four, and I was like, this is pretty wishy-washy. Yeah. Well, and, and so you, you barely, you know, several of us, I feel like almost everybody I know squeaked into day two at 6-3. Um, you, you were one of us, but you almost did not, you said you almost didn't get to day two, even though you made it, right? Yeah. So on top of having like two win-ins and getting to the ninth round, my, um, round nine was playing some blue-white control. I got game three. Uh, we signed the slip. My opponent, um, before he walks away is like, I'm just going to drop myself. Didn't really think anything of it. Didn't think it was malicious in any way, but he accidentally dropped me. Um, me being really excited and giddy, yeah. I was like, yeah, I made day two, and I'm really excited. Uh, I turned in my slip to Sean, who was actually scorekeeping that weekend and was one of my best friends. We were roommates for almost a year. Um, he saw my Facebook post that said I made day two, and he messages me while I'm outside of the hall. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, how'd you day two if you dropped? And I like, <laughs> oh, no. I like mid-conversation with somebody, just like ran inside, freaked out, <laughs> ran up to the table, and he's like, I got you, boo, I fixed it. It's a very Sean thing to say, yeah. and I felt so absurdly lucky. Like, had that been anybody else scorekeeping, nobody's going to notice that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it is very weird to drop. Even yourself after the last round of day yeah. one, I don't, right? Yeah, yeah. It, I don't you win your winning in for day two, and then you just you're like, nah, I'm off it. Or you you lose your winning in for day two, and you're like, I got to make sure that they don't keep me in this tournament. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it was malicious anyway. I think he yeah. might have just tilted off a little bit. Yeah, he did die to like a turn four carnage tyrant that just kind of attacked him twice. Nice, and that's not that's not the best way to lose a game. Yeah, for um, sure. It is the best way to win a game. Oh, that, that was a pretty fun way to win, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so that was crazy. I felt very grateful to even be in day two, let alone get as far as I did. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm fairly confident that, you know, if you hadn't caught that until the next morning, they would have been able to remedy that. But it's, I think it's unfixable. Yeah. But it is, it is good to catch it, for sure. Mm. I mean, yeah. you probably wouldn't have caught it until you go to get your pairings and see that and you're just see not, that you're not in the tournament, right? Yeah, so I don't <laughs> no, know how That's a tough they, situation. Yeah, I don't know how they fix it from that point. Um, I remember looking at my standings, though, and I was like, whew, thank God, okay, my name's there. It's really down, far down on the list, but it's there. I'm in day two. Yeah, yeah. So, I guess for for anybody listening to this, like, if you day two, especially if you haven't day two before, so you might not know this, but just make sure you get the email from Jared Silva that says, hey, be here at 10 a.m., you have day two'd. Uh, Yeah. And once you get that email, then you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, so the top eight for this tournament was sweet. There were a lot of Primeval Titans. So many Primeval Titans. I was excited. Um, my old roommate taught me how to play Amulet Titan before the bands, so I own like pretty much all that deck. I love <laughs> it so much. I'll play any deck that casts Primeval Titan. So I was really excited. When I got to top four, I was like, all right, Primeval Titan's 100% to be in the finals of this event. This is sweet. <laughs> There's like 12 copies at this one table. This is amazing. This yeah. is like, I can respect losing to Will on top of losing to Primeval Titan, on mm-hmm. top of a deck I love. Totally, one hundred percent on it. Yeah, I, I do feel like I got pretty leveled here. I didn't play against any Primeval Titan decks, but I, you know, my my read going into this tournament was, hey, there's probably going to be a fair amount of dredge. There's mm-hmm. probably going to be a fair amount of dredge hate, so I don't want to be on a heavily graveyard reliant deck. Um, I think I can beat dredge with Tron. I think other people will come to that same conclusion and also play Tron. So I'll like devote a couple extra sideboard slots to the mirror. Um, and then there were just all these Titan decks that I couldn't ever beat in a million years <laughs> running around, including like, three in the top eight. So I, I definitely feel like 
you know, maybe I should have considered Valakut a little more seriously. I don't think I can just consider running Amulet in any given tournament yeah. without putting some hours in. Amulet's yeah. a hard deck to but, play. But definitely. I have played Scape Shift, so... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's close. Like Matthias had said on stream, it's... Valakut's, like, a good decision as far as day two goes. Mm -hmm. Like, day one, you're just playing against the field. You're hoping to not play against really janky decks like Mill and Gorio's Vengeance and these things that you just can't beat. Sure. So, it was good. After you get past, like, around five-ish, like he said, if you start tournament 5-0 with Valakut, you're in a good place. Because mm -hmm. day two, you're going to play against more meta decks, most likely. And that happened. <clears throat> that happened. I played against, like, Jund, Tron, Storm, <laughs> a couple other things <laughs> that I expected to play against. So, that was nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my, my day two experience, you know, my, my day one experience was pretty up and down, uh, especially matchup-wise. My day two had a little bit of a rough start, but then I just played against all mid-range, like, like blue-white control, Jeskai, mm -hmm. black-green, um, and I felt, you know, oh, okay, this, this might have not been the worst choice for the yeah. weekend. That <laughs> <laughs> was um, X2 or 3. I was X3 going into round 8, I believe. No, eight. I was X2 going around 8. Played against blue-white control, my friend Logan, who's local to our area, mm -hmm. and I um, lost immediately. I got dumpstered. I got absolutely <laughs> nut-drawn. I had no chance. Couldn't win. Then my uh, last rounds of winning in, and he's on blue-white control again. I'm like, okay, well, let's see how this one goes. And Carney T did its job, and we got there. It's a nice one. Yeah. My tournament started out pretty great. After that painful loss to Jund round one, where I just got <laughs> pretty, pretty wrecked, I, I went five and one. And then I got matched up against uh, Mike Braverman, who I drove to the event with and was staying yeah. with. He's a good friend. I kept a five that I shouldn't have kept against him and got completely walked over. And then game two, I just sort of like mulled until I offered the handshake. And then the wheel sort of just came off of the tournament at that point a yes. little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, if you got to give up a free win, I guess giving it up to the guy that you drove to the tournament with, you know, it could be much worse than that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But I have been having trouble against humans especially mike but with tron with tron yeah, yeah. Well, I, mike was on bant humans right yeah yeah he was the one of bant humans <laughs> on the day two meta list right um but you know the the way that they beat tron is very similar to the way that regular humans mm -hmm. beats tron which is just be real fast and and lock out a sweeper yeah 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 that's that's kind of always been the the formula that's worked for humans against Tron is that, you know, as long as you can keep them off of one of their sweeper effects, then you should be good. Mm -hmm. But that's pretty tough because they have that kind of diversified a little bit. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. I remember Dylan saying that matchup is just try to kill him turn four and hope. Yep. Yeah. I, I got in the hard luck against human the other time that I played humans this yeah. tournament. My opponent had Meddling Mage naming O-Stone. Gaddock Teague, and Vile on two. Yeah, and it was just like, you definitely have a Phantasmal image <laughs> in your hand, but I've got to cast this spot removal on your Gaddock Teague. You just Vile, copy Teague. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll have another one, and thank yep. you. Well, I am out of spot removal because I played two. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Played on a sport, spatial contortion, I assume? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, Ballista counts too, and actually, that's one of the things that I was talking about with uh, with T. Lee and with, with uh, Julie and John. T. Lee plays a lot of Tron, but he was on Dredge this weekend, and, and JJ was also playing Tron, and we're pretty sure that just going forward, at least at this moment, the the classic, like, 3-3 walking Ballista uh, worm coil engine split. I guess it's been classic for you know a, a couple of months <laughs> maybe a month or two, yeah. whatever. But that's I, I think that now I'm much more comfortable being on like four walking ballistas, two worm coil engines, or something like that. Sure. I'm just 
boy, like throughout the course of the tournament, I, so many times I said, I really just need a walking ballista. Yeah. Right, right <laughs> not, here. Not a lot of burn. Yeah. Creeping chill kind of pushed it out a little bit. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the place where where I most wanted, and even post board, like I would rather draw a Thrag Tusk than a Worm Coil Engine against yeah. Burn the vast majority of the yeah, time. Turn earlier. Um, the the only real place where I like want Worm Coil Engine right now is because there's there's no Hollow one to be seen. Um, mm-hmm. So I only really want it against the mid range Black Green decks where it's it, it's great there. It's definitely great. But I think that I'd rather hedge towards. I mean, Walking Blister is just the kind of card that like hedges up bad matchups and bad situations. Mm-hmm. And I got my Warm Coil Engines pathed in Reflector Mage a few too many times. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've definitely yeah. lost to a big Walking Blister. Like yeah. it's kind of like the Tron- um, Jun matchup. You stumble a turn or two, and you're just gonna die to a big thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, once you get up to twelve mana, it's a fast clock. Right, they just like mm-hmm. play it for. You know, six or whatever, and then they untap with it, and they have 12 mana to activate it a couple of times. That's like, yeah. that's a ton of damage. Right, because it's effectively a, a double striker right. when it hits yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. In terms of dealing lethal, for sure. Right. And and the fact that it cracks Sanctum and Wormcoil does not crack Sanctum yeah, is, yeah, is yeah. also a pretty big right. deal. I think that, you know, Tron being kind of like leaning more towards like a turmo, turbo... Ulamog deck, mm-hmm. which it feels like it is a little bit. People are running like two to three Ulamogs these days. Yeah. Um, I didn't even know that. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, it feels like people are just trying to ramp up to Ulamog and cast that every time. And and I think that that's definitely, you know, probably where Tron wants to lean towards, mm-hmm. you know, and then the tools that get them there are, you know, the sweepers, the all the other stuff, the walking blisters. Yep. Um, yeah. The card I was most worried about going into this tournament was Emrakul of Promised End. Yeah, like, same. People, people really like that card, <laughs> yeah. and it's not hard for them to be able to cast it turn four. Yeah. And, you know, that card just says, Cascade Shift, Sack All Your Lands, this game's over. And right. that's not that's not fun. <laughs> Maybe even 18, the you. Maybe you know? even kill me if they want to, man. Right. <laughs> I, uh, I wish that I had main decked one this weekend, actually. Whoa, um, yeah. I just played against blue-white wow. decks so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, you know, this may be a slightly controversial opinion, but I think it's pretty good against the black-green decks as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, uh, and it makes sense to me. Uh, just, uh, I, I, I didn't because I thought, well, this doesn't make sense if I'm running for Relic of Progenitus main deck. Yeah. Which, you know, obviously I did that and then didn't play against Dredge once. <laughs> In the tournament. Sure. <laughs> but going forward, I, I really would like to be on the one main deck Emrakul. I mean, you have a good matchup against control decks, mm-hmm. but you can lose to Field of Ruin draws. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it makes a lot of sense to put sort of a almost guaranteed way to win the game one, because then they have more tools for you post-board. So if you come into the post-board games with a win, then you, you feel a lot better than if you have to win from behind when they now have surgicals or whatever they're trying to do. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, Emrakul the Promise, and I, I only pulled it off once because it was in my sideboard, but I boarded it in a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, And, yeah. and it was, you know, my plan for, for multiple games. And, and the, the one game, I think one, one time I had an opponent just scoop to it, uh, one game I actually got to do it and, uh, you know, eight for one my opponent. <laughs> right, yeah. But turns out taking control of your opponent's turn is very is strong. pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. I feel the same way about the blue-white matchup. It's You just hope you get game one and their hands cluttered with, like, Terminus and Condemn yep. and stuff like that. And you hope to steal that game before <laughs> they have Field of Ruin Surgical. It's yeah. The same thing, yep. Yeah. I mean, at, at least with Valakut, like, you can, you know, think about, well, they might have Surgical, I'm going to sequence around that. Yeah. With, with a deck like Tron, you just kind of either keep Relics mm-hmm. in 
and hope you have one or you just cross your fingers because I can't yeah. not play Tron pieces. Yeah, yeah, I can at least try to a little bit, but Tron definitely doesn't have that option. They've got to just play into it and hope it's not there. Yep, and it, it was there a few times this weekend. <laughs> um, I had one match where my opponent thought seizes me, plays a bob, untaps, flips surgical, Passes without tapping any mana. <laughs> I think this game's over. Yep. <laughs> a little Assassin's Trophy. Yeah, just draw step Assassin's Trophy surgically. You cry a single tear. Yeah. <laughs> On to game three. Right, Tron lands. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's nice if all they haven't plays Bob. Because, you know, maybe you can catch up. Yeah, maybe. it was. There's a hope. That was a hard resolve. No a, resolve a Thrag Tusk, maybe in a couple of turns. <laughs> yeah. Just d- didn't quite work out that game. I got I got beaten pretty hard that game. But you know, cannot complain about those sorts of things happening when you register the deck that is <laughs> vulnerable yeah. to them. Yeah. So yeah. So it's very easy for me for us to just like sit here and ask like, what's it like being a woman in Magic? <laughs> So I'm going to try really hard not to do that. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, one of the cool storylines of the weekend was that you played Jadian in the quarters, and this was a top eight with, with two women in it. And honestly, like, from an out, from a person who's been paying attention to the SCG tour lately, like, that doesn't feel particularly surprising. I don't know what your, yeah. like, perspective on that is. Um, I do think it was the first time that's happened. I'm not sure if it was the first two women have been in top eight, but I'm pretty sure it's the first two have had to play against each other in top eight, for mm-hmm. sure. It didn't feel weird. It actually felt pretty normal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just because of people like um, Jess and Kat and Jadine's done this several times. Emma's top eight in the classic, the same event. <laughs> um, I know there was another girl that won the Modern Challenge, mm-hmm. and there was another girl that lost her winning in the top eight of the Grand Prix in New Jersey. So it was just a good weekend for women in general, and it's becoming a lot more normalized. It's feeling, it's feeling normal, which yeah. is really good. I mean, have you felt like attitudes about that changing, or have you have you had to deal with anything? Like changing know? from what aspect? Well, so I know that there's the whole like, hey, I got matched up against a girl sort of thing, <laughs> and that like obviously completely inappropriate, and mm-hmm. hopefully anybody who has friends that do that is sort of shushing them. Mm-hmm. from doing that like you know does that sort of thing still happen do you or is does it feel different especially like and i don't know if it's different between opens and local game stores or mm-hmm. or you know what's it been like um i've been playing magic for like almost five years now i've maybe had one to three bad interactions really with someone who's had like a negative outlook towards a woman playing magic mm-hmm. or losing to one and it's i think that's pretty good yeah. as far as such a long period of time and being in different settings as far as casual and competitive. Um, most of the time when I play against someone, they're happy to lose to a girl. They're like, you know, I lost to this wizardess that was playing Valakut, <laughs> and that feels, that's pretty cool. Like, it's nice to see that people are supporting it and they want it to be more regular. Um, I think it's becoming more of a normal thing, for sure. I don't think people get as upset about losing to a girl, Especially when you see a top eight with two of them in it. Mm-hmm. Like, when you lose to a girl and you see them in the top eight, you're like, you know, I can lose to her. It's fine, because she beat a bunch of other people kind of yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Um, is there anything... I mean, like, I that's that's pretty... I'm glad to hear that it hasn't been that, you know, pervasive for mm-hmm. you. Yeah, for me personally. Like, it still happens, I'm sure. You hear... You see the stories all over mm-hmm. social media and stuff of people who are being, like, pushed out of wanting to play. Or just getting bad interactions and just not wanting to, like, even be on camera or anything like that. And that really sucks. Like, 
you wish it doesn't happen, and I can't pretend like it doesn't just because it doesn't happen to me that often. Mm-hmm. So I you hope think this... that might be because you're a little more well known. Maybe I don't know. Um, it's possible. I hope that's not what it is. I don't want any woman to feel like she deserves to be targeted because she's not like oh no, a name no. or anything like that. I just um, wonder, you know, if somebody who would say something otherwise, like if they know your name and you know mm-hmm. that would make them less likely to. Probably. I think it does. But I hope that's not a factor. Mm-hmm. I hope they just treat everybody that way. Yeah. But it's very possible. Yeah. Is there anything, and it's totally okay not to have an answer to this question, mm-hmm. um, but can, is there anything that, like, we can be doing as, you know, guys, I guess, uh, to, like, make the community or experience or tournament scene more, you know, you know, is there anything that you've thought about that could be different, and especially anything that we could do as individuals to make a difference there? Oh, man. I know, it's, a big, uh, yeah. it's a big, kind of tough question. I probably yeah. should have given you some, you know, <laughs> some lead. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big question. Um, I think a lot of the problems people have are with very specific people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just, like, their outlook on the game, or maybe just... I, I really don't know. I can't think of a good reason why some men in the community act the way that they do towards it mm-hmm. like why they feel like say underpowered or i don't i don't really know how to explain it like yeah. guys just feel like sometimes if i lose to a girl man this sucks like i'm supposed to be good at this game you know mm-hmm. but we can be good at this game too you know obviously and to be fair like guys taught me to play this game i didn't learn from another girl i mean mm-hmm. i don't know it's just it's, it's a hard one to ask i don't know if there's anything in specific that can be done other than women to keep playing and keep top eight in tournaments and playing more competitively mm-hmm. or just playing in general. Like I had one guy I know, I don't really know who he was, but it was on a social media and he was like, yeah, I don't know where all these people you guys are seeing that are playing magic, but there's not a single girl at my local gaming store. And the internet kind of blew up at them. They're like, you know, just cause you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. Mm-hmm. That kind of thing. So maybe getting that mindset out of the way could be a good step. Just knowing like we're here. We're yeah. playing. We might not be the majority, but we're here. And we enjoy this game just as much. Cool. Now, to move, like, completely <laughs> 180 <laughs> degrees. So, you know, one of the things that's that's a little different about you from some other players and similar to some other players, uh, you're known for one specific deck yeah. that you play. <laughs> so what, what kind of differences does that make for your, you know, tournament experience or deck selection process or anything like that? Um. Uh, as far as deck selection, if as long as I can't convince myself I'm gonna go three or something in the tournament, I'll <laughs> I'll play my deck. If I feel like I I can beat at least or win at least like half my matchups, I'll feel good enough to play my deck. When is the last time you didn't play Scapeshift in in a big event? Never. Okay. I I don't think I've ever registered for a classic or open or a grand prix that wasn't a Valakid archetype. <laughs> um, I've played like local IQs and stuff like that with Storm mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but no, I've never played a big event that wasn't Valakid. I mean, you're you're in good company. Like, <laughs> yeah. Shear is at the top of the yeah, the the top. yeah leaderboard. It, it so was. like this is a this is a real strategy. So yeah, just so I'm sure the deck. yeah. So what? You know, we talked about some of these examples with, like, knowing matchups and stuff, but are there, you know, specific advantages that you think you get over the field by having this in-depth experience? I think so. I think I have a really clear understanding of how I lose every game Mm -hmm. and making sure that doesn't happen and not playing doubts I don't have. 
So I think so. I think knowing every matchup, even if Titan Shift seems like one of those decks that's pretty linear and that your game plan most of the time is going to be the same, mm-hmm. you have those weird situations where you can't try to win the game right now. You need to put Colony Hearts down and put Bolts on a stick and try to stay alive for a couple more turns, try to play like red-green control by bolting all their creatures, and it's it's good. Like I know the Spirits matchup's a really weird one where there's a lot of times they'll have like three mana up and a vial on three, mm. and they can't deal with Primeval Titan, so you have these hands of like Summoner's Pack, Summoner's Pack, and like some other win con, and you get to bait out their Spell Quellers with Summoner's Pack because they can't hit the Titan. Mm. So yeah, getting a spell cool on a zero mana spell feels pretty good. Yeah, so there are some cool lines that come from just knowing your matchup and what cards you need to play and mm. what you need to mulligan to. The deck doesn't mulligan well, so you have to <laughs> you have to really know that your hand's not going to win. Like, if I know I'm playing against Tron and my opener has Bolt, Anger, Relic, I'm like, right, I just have to ship this because I have this information I probably shouldn't know, but I do. So I can hope to get something more functional. So yeah, I think... I think knowing your deck's a big part of modern. Yeah. Yeah. Have you felt like you've lost any percentage points based on opponents know it, like predicting what you're on yeah. sitting down? Yeah, for sure. People tell me their blue-white matchup's great, and I find myself losing it all the time. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's just because my opponents are like mulling to sixes and fives that have like logic knots and cryptic commands instead of terminus and sure. path to exile and stuff like that. So I, th- I definitely think it happens. Um, I've sat down maybe three or four times and my opponents, I've like shook my, like put my hand out and I'm like, Hey, I'm Becky. Mm-hmm. And they've been like, yeah, I know. And I'm like, Ooh. Oh crap. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> yeah. And now I have no idea what's going on and you know exactly what I'm doing. So that's, that's no good. And you even said earlier that, uh, in the blue white matchup, you hope that they just kind of get clogged on a bunch of cards that, yeah. that, that aren't going to be good in the matchup. But if your opponent knows what's going on, then, you know, that's less likely to happen. Yeah, you lose those points. Yeah, sure. And I definitely know that was relevant with Collins' matchup. Going, like, going in, he's like, all right, he's got to keep a hand that's going to win turn three and has a remand in it. And he can't, I can't <laughs> yeah. lose, you know? And that's exactly right. what happened. He had a hand with remand and a turn three kill, and I, I died. Yep. That, at least, Collins probably would have known what you were on. Even if you were not mean yeah. like a girl. <laughs> yeah. Um, he sat down and he was like, man, I don't even know if you're on Naya or not. I'm like, well, that doesn't matter because, <laughs> you know, yeah. most of my cards are just the same. So. Yeah. <laughs> just, they're just all various rampant growths. Some yeah. have bodies attached, some don't. Yeah. yeah. I think he had, probably had a good read that I was going to be on Relics this mm-hmm. weekend if I was playing Valgate. Makes sense. So that's something I he probably knew about. That's what I would have done. I know that Becky's smarter than anybody with that stuff. So. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of success with mainboard Relics, so I yes. was very excited to be able to play them again mm-hmm. yeah I, I think very good call for this weekend so mm-hmm. uh, i mean i i assume you also you know when you were talking about advantage you advantages you have because of knowing your deck you kind of leaned into the identifying lines that that you've taken before that would work in that matchup but i have to assume that in the deck construction phase you know you're very comfortable swapping cards in mm-hmm. and out and figuring out the right configuration yeah, for sure. I had a lot of messages about, why are you playing Explorer over Farseek? Mm-hmm. That was a question I got asked maybe 10 or 20 times. is pretty crazy. And the big reason was being able to go like turn one Relic into turn two Progressor Plan and Hold Up Relic sure. was a big reason. And that was also one of the reasons I went up to eight, fe- eight fetch lands. Because in Valakut you have these 27 lands typically, and you usually have one flex land. You have 13 mountains two basic forests, mm-hmm. usually three cinder laid, four stomping ground, and seven fetches. And then the six basic mountains. And for that tournament, I decided to go with the eighth fetch over the 
third forest or the sheltered thicket that some people run. Mm-hmm. And that was just because, man, I got these colony hearts in my deck. I got these explorers in my deck. And I just want to be turning, transforming people as much as I can. Because sure. this meta is just too aggressive to be doing anything else. And it worked. Makes sense. Somehow you squeeze those three colony gardens in there, though. Yeah. <laughs> the com- How do you lose with so many plants in play? Just, <laughs> I'm attack you with Champion of the Parish. All right, block. You can't lose. I really hope so. So for those who haven't seen the list that got posted, the there was a typo, so it looked like a Valakut list registering thirty lands, <laughs> three three colony gardens, which I really hope somebody just copies and finds <laughs> a league with by accident. Yeah, or something. It's, it's clearly so good, man. Colony Garden was in the finals, and I believe in both lists. I think both decks oh, yeah. had a colony it's great garden. Great amulet, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, man, Definitely stalking it. Why isn't Titan sure. Shift on the same train? Why aren't we playing Colony Gardens? Yeah. Well, you see, it's not a mountain, so... (laughs) Malik, it's not a mountain. Fair. It's in the deck. Touche. Yeah. (laughs) Forests are so bad. So necessary. Basic basic forest. Worst card in the deck. By a lot. So necessary, though. Yeah. You're playing this uh, mono green deck with these really bad lands that you don't want to be playing, but you have to. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, that was that was one of the more frustrating parts to me of playing Valakut was just that the mana base made no sense given the spells you actually wanted to cast. Yeah, yeah. Prismatic Omen fixes all your problems. Prismatic Omen is sweet. Yeah. It's a great one. It was a lot of fun on camera. My Tron opponent was at 20 and I got to 54 his face. <laughs> that was six lands in play. I was like, this card is just bonkers. Yeah, the first time I registered Valakut in an open, my... Main deck was entirely green cards. It was just all green, and then my mana base is all red. <laughs> it's like yeah. something's wrong here. Were you on Omens as well? You were on Hour of Promise for sure. It was yeah. It was the first time I played Hour of Promise. Nice. Yeah. I love that card so much. Yeah. If Field of Ruin hadn't got printed, I'd still be playing it today. Yeah. Yeah. Five for mana sure. for a card that doesn't win the game and then gets Field of Ruin is pretty bad. Yeah. 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 Right. It's it's hard to set up the Valakuts and then keep going with them. That that mm-hmm. usually. That's a tough ask right now. Yeah. It was good for a while, though. I believe I had, like, two classic top eights with two relic, two colony, two omen, two hour. <laughs> and it was just, like, the Becky album special for a little bit because it had all these two ups that nobody agreed with. Sure. <laughs> but then they also don't know what to expect out of your hand, even if they know your list. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely right now, though, the mono green Valakit list. Yeah. We, need a co- we need a couple of bolts in there. Yeah, bolts bolts pretty necessary. Yeah. I actually went down to two bolts from three for this tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, Drake Sasser convinced me that having three sweepers, two bolts would be better for the tournament, and he was right. Okay. Definitely was. And what was in a particular? Worse than storm. <laughs> <laughs> what, but what, except for the storm matchup, what in particular made those sweepers, you know, you wanted the, the one extra? Um, mostly Dredge. Okay. He mentioned that having three sweepers is going to be really good against humans and Dredge. And if you're going to have sweepers in your main, they should probably be angers at the moment. Mm-hmm. That I agreed with. But I also wanted to have some way to battle meddling mage and have more of an edge against, like, Tron and blue-white X, where mm-hmm. those cards don't do anything. And being able to cycle into something new was really good. Definitely. And in those same matchups, like, Bolt's not great. Like, Bolt against Tron, like, you get them either down to 17 or you get lucky and you get a card out mm-hmm. of it. But most of the time, it's just not a card you want to draw. Yep. Yeah, I mean... Based on what I was seeing this weekend, you want Bolt against Storm and Humans, and there's just a lot of decks that you don't want Bolt against right now. Yeah, for sure. Going into GP Atlanta, I have no idea what I'm going to play. I was actually kind of leaning towards Storm. I'm not familiar with GP metas. I don't really know. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I got two buys for the tournament, so I'm hoping to maybe 
if I do play Valica, just kind of jump into the more meta part of the tournament. Sure. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Cool. Yeah, I, I unfortunately am going to be missing GP Atlanta this coming weekend. Yeah. You're, you're headed to it, right? I'm Collins? going. Yeah. You know, I've been pretty high on Storm, but looking at the, the meta of the Open in Charlotte, I was like, wow, Infect might be really <laughs> insane right now. <laughs> Yeah. Just because, you know, the top decks right now are Dredge and Tron and mm-hmm. Humans and all these decks that it feels like Infect should be able to beat up on pretty well. But last night I went, I, I played a league with Infect and played Dredge four times <laughs> and got smushed <laughs> by Dredge. <laughs> and I was like, okay, maybe my Dredge matchup isn't that great. Interesting. <laughs> are we just getting conflagrated a lot or what? Frost Miriam seemed good about the matchup. He liked it. He From the dredge side. Yeah. He yeah, I, after playing it a bunch, I think that he's totally right. How did the games go? So their their clock is just so much faster now. It's always kind of been a little bit of a race where they have a, like a little bit of interaction. You know, sometimes they have Dark Blast and then post they'll have uh, Lightning Axe. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And you always have to worry about Conflagrate, but generally that's, you know, you can have a protection mm-hmm. spell for that. Yeah. And plus they have the blockers, the flyers. They have but yeah, Narcamoeba is so annoying. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you line. unless you specifically have Blighted Agent, if they just like have a Narcomoeba or cast a Stinkweed Imp, you're just like, yeah, I can't, I can't win. Yeah, and Elf is never getting through. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, Elf is never getting through. And then their clock on top of all of that, just like you know, annoying disruption that makes you not be able to just kill them. Mm-hmm. Uh, their clock is so fast. Um, the interaction between Creeping Chill and giving Bloodgasts haste mm-hmm. is like yes. a, it, it's like a whole turn and a half. That that's that's now. what we were talking about all weekend. Mm-hmm. Is you know, that is like the hidden, I mean, yeah. not hidden once you've played it, but oh my god, these blood gas have haste right. way earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it didn't really click with me until I like started playing against it. Like I played against it four times that league and <laughs> and every time it was just like, I'm at nine and I'm and so yeah. dead. <laughs> yeah, it's even worse when you add Conflagrate to the mix and they've like flipped two creeping chills and a Conflagrate mm-hmm. and then they have two blood gas in the yard and all yeah. of a sudden you get Conflagrate for like three and then you take like eight mm-hmm. and it's... It's crazy. Yeah, that's bad news bears, for sure. Right. Yeah, yeah. Con- Conflag is now, it used to be pretty much only, like, a creature disruptive piece in Dredge. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just like a... Game one, I get to do whatever with my graveyard, so I might as well have some removal spells in there, I think was the idea behind Conflagrate. But now, it with uh, Creeping Chill, it's just burn spell. It's just yeah. dome, you know, to the dome, you're yeah. dead. <laughs> I know our friend Tucker lost a match to Dredge because they flipped the fourth Conflagrate. And honestly, mm-hmm. like, I'm kind of in for four conflagrates once you're adding them to the creep heals. Because, yeah. like, that's the sort of card that the more access to it you have, the better the next copy right. gets. Yeah. You're just, yeah, now we're like a burn dredge, yeah. <laughs> dredge burn deck, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's not a bad plan to be on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, yeah, dredge is still very scary now. I think it definitely got suppressed a reasonable amount by the hate people were bringing this weekend. We sure. didn't, yeah. we didn't mm-hmm. see any copies in the top eight. And plenty of Tron decks, plenty of Anger of the Gods and stuff like that going on. Plenty of, you know, we had an, an all amulet finals and, yes. and <laughs> right. delighted to play against Trench, so. <laughs> I'm yeah, sure. They have a pretty good humans matchup too, with mm-hmm. along their usually engineered explosives, walking ballista main board, some mix of those cards. Yeah. That can deal with humans. Amulet does. Yes, Amulet yeah, okay. does. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean definitely, you know, we really haven't talked about Amulet very much to th- this episode but we've never seen an all amulet finals before i don't think so great. that's yeah and jerry and emma um called it they were like big man is gonna be good this weekend mm-hmm. and it was they mentioned um valka being weak to like storm they mentioned amulet titan not really having any bad matchups <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um 
know. We were, you and I were sitting down with Will uh, the Saturday night, right? And he kept on saying, I'm playing the deck with no bad matchups. Yeah, and it's true. <laughs> it's, it's so true. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Oh, um, that matchup's pretty weird from my side. When Will came up to me and was like, Beckles, we're playing. And mm. I was like, oh, man, I'm on the draw. I don't think I can win. And that's like a really bad way to think, but I've played that matchup from both sides, and I've played Amulet a pretty decent amount on top of playing Valakut a bunch. You just have to hope that you either get to cast yours for first, or they have to summoner's patch for their titan. Because mm-hmm. if they have to summoner's patch for their titan, they can't patch the negation yours, you get to kill theirs, and then it's all uphill from there. Makes sense. But it gets bad if they get to cast theirs first, because then they just get to bounce, bounce Tolario West, which you could see on stream, that's how I lost both games. Mm-hmm. I'm just bouncing Tolario West back and getting packed negation, and that game was just over. Yeah. Yep. That's tough. The finals was really interesting it, it went on for way longer than i thought an amulet mirror would go on for you know my i have I've, i haven't played the deck at all so my assumption going in is like well they're gonna be racing right and yeah. there was mm-hmm. there was dismember getting used as giant growth so yeah. there was a life gain spell <laughs> right. there was yep. you know in game three i think will had an amulet and was able to kill his opponent's amulet but then the game just went on for like half an hour after that <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so. his, his opponent was on a different version, too. I remember talking to him outside, and he was like, oh, this day two metagame out, I really hope they put my deck in like a different slot, because it had um, Lotus Gloom, mm-hmm. had the Hive Mind combo and all that stuff in it. Oh, and wow. I was really excited okay. seeing that, because when I played in Baltimore earlier this year, that was like my round one loss, was to a guy who went Temple of Mystery, go, and it ended up being Hive Mind, not lost pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. So... Not be like not being in the finals against him was nice because I'm pretty sure uh, Hive Mind's just insane. Yeah, Hive Mind is definitely a crazy element that that used to be a really big part of that deck forever ago. Yeah. Um, it was almost its primary win condition. Yeah, like for yeah. yeah for a while. Yeah, back when we had what was the card Summer Bloom. Summer Bloom? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I I probably got to put some hours into Amulet just just in case a weekend like this rolls around yeah. where it, it just like clearly leveled <laughs> like. Crushes dredge because you have infinite bajuka bogs and can recycle your bajuka bogs, <laughs> or you're just faster than them, right? And then beats the other big mana decks, you know, as long as your draws cooperate. And and mm-hmm. yeah, just that's, that's the one thing about that deck it's trading consistency for killing you turn three, definitely. Yeah, when you're when you're running Amulet of Vigor, the card, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. we're we're all in on some some good draws right. here, for yeah. Sure. Yeah, I've definitely declared my intention to to play a lot of that deck before, especially on the podcast. But it's just never happened. It's too hard. It definitely that so much fun. Yeah. I love that deck. It makes me think really hard. It makes me think. I always feel like I'm messing it up a little bit, but my opponent just died anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> it's really hard to not die to like a what is it like an eight eight double strike hasty titan <laughs> eight, with right. vigilance yeah, yeah. You know, like... just get it that sets you up to get another titan the next yeah. turn mm-hmm. yeah the, definitely like watching those amulet it's it's a weird feeling watching games like that like watching amulet play a lot of times it's like kind of relaxing because i'm not sitting here thinking like what would i do here i'm just kind of thinking like what's gonna happen yeah because i can't and the same thing, like, watching our, our friend Lee play KCI. Like, I'd go find him after my match was done, I'd sit down next to him, and I'd just, like, enjoy the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, at one point, he's holding back a bunch of Jun creatures with an ensnaring bridge, and his opponent finds a, a trophy and kills the bridge, tacks, gets Lee down to, like, one life. Lee, end of turn, cracks Inventor's Fair, 
to find a worm coil engine, <laughs> plays the worm coil engine, sacrifices it to get back in snaring bridge. Oh man! Casts in snaring bridge, passes the turn, untaps, and then uses the worm coil tokens to jumpstart his combo turn. So he has another <laughs> mana to start going off. It was amazing, incredible. Lee's a god. <laughs> yes, Lee is. Lee is very fun to watch playing that deck. So now that we're kind of in story mode a little bit here. Did, were you there when uh, Ben Nikolic came by and was talking about his match against Ross Miriam? No. So Ben was on Jeskai Control. Normal. Yep. yep. Um, Makes sense. And he sat down, out. <laughs> sat down in front of Ross. They did not roll to see who goes first. He just said, you've got game one. Let's go to board. <laughs> ben did? Ben, yeah, that's what Ben did because Ross was on Dredge this weekend. Um, oh, yeah. And Ben had a bunch of lightning bolts in his deck. Well, doesn't hasn't Jeskai been test like playing around with um, Terminus and the expansion explosion? And Not his main deck. His main okay. deck. Uh, I, I think he. I, I don't know what he like estimated at, but he was not. He, he thought it was higher EV to have more time in the round, and then he finished the round winning games two and three with. I think he said like six seconds left on the clock. That's incredible! Wow, so, that's, that's amazing. Insane. So look at the big brain on Ben. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think playing Jeskai might have been a rough choice this weekend. Or just like any blue-white I think variant. playing Jeskai is a rough choice any week. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. The, all of Team Lotus Box agreed with that statement, but he <laughs> no, still played it. you can tell, because John Russell was yeah. on Tron, and all you could see were the anime betrayals all over, <laughs> yeah. all over social media. That, so was, that was a good tweet. That's John, how you know Jeskai's bad, if John Rossum's on Tron for a big event. John was not happy to be playing Tron this weekend. But he was so upset. I saw this tweet saying, man, I hate Tron. Then you see him playing it, and then he's like, man, I don't even think I want to go to Atlanta anymore. That's how bad it was. <laughs> playing Tron put Rossum on life tilt, so. Yeah, it seems rough to play the deck that you think's going to crush everyone else, and then you get crushed, and it's like, man, why can't I ever beat this deck? And, you know, yeah. it's crazy. It is what it is. I did not feel nearly as down on Tron after the weekend. Yeah. I, I feel like several of my losses were to pretty positive matchups that were either, you know, variance-based or because I, you know, did, made some either errors or just miscalculations during sideboarding and probably, possibly need to mulligan more aggressively, even though I was very focused on throwing back hands that were not exciting, you know, all weekend long, but I think we can go even harder with Tron. I, like, I'm, depending on what we think is going to show up, I am totally okay with playing Tron going forward i i do not have this attitude of like oh this deck i don't know yeah, yeah. for sure well i mean some people like slam and ulamogs and some people don't <laughs> so <laughs> i like i emrakul the promised end ruined standard while it was in standard i played it for a little bit and it was just really miserable all the time but yeah. now if we can play it in modern where like everybody's got real powerful cards and it's just totally a, it makes a, more sense yeah and mm -hmm. i'm if I can play a deck that main decks Emrakul the Promised, I'm probably going to do that. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Makes you, sense. You know, unless people are forgetting Graveyard Hate, then I will go back to my roots and my, my trademark deck of Living End. <laughs> yeah. It kind of hurts that Living End just kind of gets nuked along with Dredge just because of them. Mm -hmm. It does. And and the, the real annoying thing is that Living End has a pretty positive Dredge matchup. I haven't, like particularly tested that matchup post creeping chill but you know a deck becomes prevalent and i'd like to bring my favorite deck because it beats up on it pretty well but i'm just gonna lose to everybody else who's ready for that deck so yeah. it's pretty self-defeating there yeah, yeah. you can beat the hate sometimes i mean you yeah. saw like two to three lotus box players playing storm this weekend because storm's prepared to you know deal with that stuff mm -hmm. yeah it's just 
you know, our, our sideboarding plans are a little more restrictive in a deck where you can't run one and two mana spells. <laughs> Having access to goblins definitely gives Storm a, a unique angle that you just kind of like get to ignore the graveyard a lot post-board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's really... So that's, that's one thing that I, I really want to like knock heads with you guys about a little bit. I, I need to pay more attention. Probably what I need to do is play a pretty significant amount of Storm so that I can really understand those post-board strategies and mm-hmm. sort of adjust to match. Yeah. Because, like, if I'm playing a deck with, you know, main deck relics of Progenitus, and then my opponents against me think, well, I need to sideboard out all of my gifts ungiven and all but one past in flames, like, do I, am I supposed to have relics in <laughs> anymore? Yeah. I yeah. think I still am, but I think this is a route that, that would reward some exploration. Yeah, I mean, that testing really gives you a lot of equity for game twos, mm-hmm. but you can kind of just, like, get that for game threes yeah um but the problem is though that you have to be winning your game ones if you're gonna you know lose game two to a thing and then you know try to beat it game three so i think that storm is definitely advantaged in that sense where they are favored game one which allows them to be like all right we're gonna see what's up for game two yeah and then if we lose that game two things that that my opponent brought in to prepare for me then i can adjust that way but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, understanding kind of like, yep, I expect uh, these things, so I'm going to hedge towards those things mm-hmm. is definitely, like, good equity for, mm-hmm. for that. And Storm being able to pretty easily beat a Relic game one is also pretty powerful. Sure. You have that option to Grape Shot Remand, Grape Shot, or to just cast Passing Flames for as little as you can and then put stuff underneath the Relic activation, mm-hmm. which is another really good way to do it. Um, so, yeah, Storm just has a lot of... Flexibility. They can deal with stuff a lot easier just because, like you said, they don't rely on their graveyard as heavily. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I I mean, playing Living End, a lot of times, my stance on Storm has gone back and forth, but honestly, most of the time, I have not been bringing in Leyline of the Void against Storm anymore because Mm -hmm. it screws up my ability to goldfish as quickly as possible and and try to just disrupt their guy. You know, I think the disrupt the mana guy and put a clock on is, (laughs) is a lot more effective than, like, hope this ley line does something and now I'm down a card or two cards over the course of a game. Right. So, yeah. yeah, it's funny that you say that because during this tournament, uh, I played against, so I played against Ross Merriam in day two. Uh, he was on dredge. And after the match, I was kind of joking around and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure that if my opponent just presents their main deck 60 for for game two mm-hmm. i'm just dead in the water i can't win <laughs> because because i'm like you're on pieces and it's yeah i'm it's bending slower. over backwards to to make my deck like slightly slower but also more resilient to the hate that i expect them to have right so i'm i know that they're gonna have ley lines post board so i need to make sure that i have pieces instead of gifts mm-hmm. so that i can still combo off and win um, but if my opponent is just like, all right, I'm, I still have my turn three and a half main deck. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck. I'm yeah. just so dead. <laughs> so it's, it's an interesting like mind game, like leveling game that, that you get to play with like the players who know what's up. Yeah. And, and I mean, I, these are the things that I really want to figure out as, as best as I possibly can. I mean, modern is not my favorite format mm-hmm. because to me, I feel like there's not, as much room for brewing or showing up with a true rogue deck or anything like that, uh, I feel like one of my advantages when playing limited or standard is that I've played so much magic that if we both show up to a tournament with a deck that we've been playing for two weeks, I will have a reasonable intuitive understanding of how this game is going to play out and I'll sequence my cards better than a lot of people will. In modern, I'm going to play against someone who's played 10,000 games with a deck and uh, I'm 
going to not have that sort of it doesn't matter how much like generic magic i've played because they've played this matchup more than i have yeah Um, and so i'm losing steps against them there so so modern as a format to me uh i feel like some of my advantages are kind of left aside Mm -hmm. and so this is a place where i'm looking to to pick stuff up more and and make sure that my sideboard leveling is is on the correct level right yeah and that's a really good point you made about knowing your matchups because there's this um girl charlotte that i met during the event Mm-hmm. That we sat ne- like diagonal from each other for like five or six rounds, so we got pretty familiar with each other. And she tells me during one of her early rounds, she played against um, like Kiki combo with like maybe like Eldritch Revolution type stuff. She didn't get too in depth with it, mm-hmm. and she said she beat it. And it was really funny because the guy next to her that was just like in our general area was like, "Man, that's pretty scary," because you know he's played against humans a million times, and you have no idea what's going yeah. on in his deck. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Like. You show up with this rogue pile against this deck that focuses on its like disruption and its pressure, and they have no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And that makes meddling mage pretty. Medium. <laughs> <Right>. Oh yeah, <laughs> meddling mages. I've I've definitely boarded out meddling mages in matchups where I was just like, I, I I'm just gonna admit to myself that I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so meddling mage goes away. <laughs> um. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that makes sense. I I I mean, you can get that advantage possibly at least against a, a decent percentage of the field without having to resort to very fringe decks like kiki cord i know that that lee has told me that he gets a he gets percentage from people just not knowing how to play against kci not understanding when they're about to be dead mm-hmm. and i think amulet is a similar way like i i've passed the turn against amulet and been like i don't know how much mana you can make this turn right so yeah. when you add azusa and explore to the moon, <laughs> it, it becomes a lot yeah <laughs> Right. So. Yeah, double amulet just means that if they have any payoff, you're just you're dead. dead. <laughs> you're you're just die. gonna die. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you need the full ancient grudge. Yeah, yeah. How many titans can we make this turn? <laughs> Four, and they're all attacking. Oh, great. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of the funnier stories from the tournament at the beginning of the tournament was uh, our, our good friend Elliot Darrow in round one played against this crazy Esper Eldrazi deck. It was like yeah. Esper Eldrazi Taxes. Ulamog's Nullifier. Yeah. Ulamog's <laughs> Nullifier, yeah. So he, he told me about this curve that his opponent had where his opponent curved Tide Hollow Sculler into Spellqueller into Ulamog's Nullifier, which is just the dream, right? <laughs> For those who don't know, Ulamog's <laughs> Nullifier is a four-mana flash creature that has... What's the mechanic? Processing. Process. Yeah, yeah so he can... Processor. Yes. Right. <laughs> he can process two cards your opponent has from exile in order to counter a spell. So one from Tidehollow Scholar, one from Spellqueller, and then you're set. That's yeah, it. and then you just have great creatures that, <laughs> yeah. that, ex- that countered spells when they came in, and there's nothing you're right. So, so he was telling me about that tech, and I was like, "Well, that's crazy." I mean, I'm, I'm, I can see how you got got my round two. Uh, Planning is the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, did you hear that story before? Yeah, I did. Oh my yeah. goodness! So I was so ready for his 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 processor cards. I didn't even know that that had happened. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. He comes um, up and he's like, man, guess what my opponent just named for these two caverns? <laughs> right. He comes up and he's like, Eldrazi and Spirits. And I, did, I had no idea what, the, what Ulamog's Nullifier did, anything. I was like, yeah. all right, well, yeah. that's, that's, that's insane. And it's great that you heard that story from Elliot. Because Elliot is very, like, detail and individual card oriented. Oh, yeah, So yeah. You, you knew, like, like, 30 of the cards in that guy's list by yeah. because Elliot would 
Yeah. Th- that's that's the way he tells stories. Yeah. He, he he gets those details in so. for sure. Yeah, I mean, and I was terrified too because I'm playing Storm, and my I know that my opponent has Thought Not Seer and Tide Hollow Sculler and Spell Queller yeah. and Ulamog's Nullifier <laughs> in their deck. Post board, they had Leyline of Sanctity and Rest in Peace. Oh my <laughs> We still got there. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but can we build a more hateful <laughs> right. yeah. storm? Didn't um, Ross Miram get like turn one rest in peace on camera? He said that his opponent in game one mulligan to five and then cast a turn one rest in peace against him. That's so miserable. <laughs> That's pretty crazy. I think Dylan told what? me he got in to... game one. Yeah, I saw um, Dylan Donigan outside at one point, and he's like, "Man, it's been a rough day. I got game one, turn one, damping spirit." And I was just like, "Dude, what are these people doing?" Right. The damping spirit, I at least know, is from that mono blue prison. The, the bottle coister. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. or the... Lee and playing blue red prison. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The turn one rest in peace though. I'm. I'm struggling to put a I'm list assuming, together in my I'm head. I'm assuming that it has to be some sort of like red white, red red white Simeon Spirit Guide, Blood Moon, yeah. hateful cards deck. Yep, those decks are universally terrible. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that, that's man the field. Right. You lose it's to modern. those decks like round one through five. You just can't. Yeah, and I mean, if you're playing Dredge, how you be in the turn one rest in peace? Right, like I can sit here and say that a deck is terrible, and what that means is like you take it to a tournament and you're unlikely to be favored in the majority of your matchups. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're not playing with powerful cards that can just win games. Yeah, because it's modern. The cards are all good. Yeah, yeah. Well, people slammed a lot of Blood Moons game one against me, and it's like okay, well, well, game two. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Let's see if this first 6-6 six, six lives, and if it doesn't, I guess we'll just move forward. <laughs> yeah, the Colossal Dreadmaw plan is usually a little ambitious. <laughs> yeah. It works better post-board. Yes. <laughs> um, well, Becky, thank you so much for coming and hanging out with us today. We really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, this has been awesome. Uh, is there anything else that either of you guys want to hit on that we haven't hit yet? No, man. Uh, Primeval Titan's great. It is pretty great. <laughs> That's all I got to say. Yeah. Definitely had a good weekend. And congratulations again. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so for our Patreon question of the week, Lee asks... Boy, Lee has been featured a lot in this episode (laughs) and also in Patreon questions of the week. Lee is a god. We see you, Lee. (laughs) We see you. Um, What are some common mistakes or oversights that you all have in your personal in-game play? So... One thing that I know pretty well about myself, just kind of like in life in general and in magic, is that my my peripherals are really bad. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty prone to like missing things that I'm not specifically focusing on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that definitely shows up a lot in magic where I, like I'm really focused on like this one particular line and then uh, I just like miss this like one simple thing that was just kind of sitting on the board or whatever that like should have been a factor in my calculations but just wasn't because I wasn't thinking about it because I missed it. Mm-hmm. It was in my peripherals. So I definitely run into that pretty frequently as just like a pretty common like processing error, I guess, mm-hmm. that I personally have in my in my games a lot. Like for example, just last night I was playing a league with Dredge and I loaned up to eight cards in my hand and I'm like trying to figure out the best way to kill all their creatures because I knew that if I could just kill all their creatures I was easily going to win that game. So I was just was like your, kind of figuring out. Was your opponent at seven life? And right. So the story <laughs> ends. That's the punchline is that. And the reason. I gave that, it away. The reason that I'm like doing all this weird math is because my opponent had an arc bound ravager. Mm-hmm. So my opponent like had the opportunity to like sack things around. Oh, sure. So distributing the, the conflagrate for eight was like pretty difficult. I had to like overshoot everything. Mm-hmm. And then I did it. And then 
I realized that I had like played a land that turn that I didn't need to, and that my opponent was at nine, and oh. I could have just like killed them, you know. <laughs> but but I had just like done all those calculations, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna need this land for my blood gas, and I got him back, and then I was like, all right, uh, you know, kill all your things. And my opponent in the chat was like, you know, had you just nined me, I was dead. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mine's pretty pretty similar. Yeah. One story in particular I can think about. I was playing against um, Jess Guy through the breach, mm-hmm. and it's kind of it was like kind of fringe, but I saw some certain cards in the deck that made me lean towards through the reach. And during game two, my opponent um, Vendillion clicks me at one point, and I end up getting a Primeval Titan to resolve. And instead of just killing him, I ended up really scared of this Vendillion click and doing one trigger at him and uh, one trigger at the Vendillion click and the rest at him. Mm. And I looked at my life pad after I had already done it and I was like, oh man, I could have just killed you. You're going to like rip through the breach here and I'm just going to lose this game. (laughs) And so yeah, it's a pretty similar thing where you're so focused on a line or just like not losing the game that you forget that the win's just kind of right there in front of you sometimes. Mm -hmm. So mine's just pretty similar to what Collins has said. Yeah, I mean, I if I were to just like make a list of my leaks, it would be a pretty pretty long list of things that I'm trying to work on. <laughs> um, gameplay wise, I definitely, you know, I'm I'm usually happy with my overarching game plan philosophy, like figuring out like okay, in four turns we need to be here. Um, but some of the very minor things, like like I will get caught up and I will not crack a fetch you know, end of turn when I'm supposed to or something like that, you know, just, mm-hmm. just, uh, it, it's hard for me to, you know, keep track of everything that's going on in the game and make sure that I'm doing everything correctly. As far as just, I, I sometimes struggle to take a step back once my opponent is doing something that I don't understand or is unexpected. This is something that I've, I've realized a lot, uh, playing arena actually, because a lot of times like playing limited in arena, players have a very different set of assumptions. And especially because, like I've been doing a bunch of Dominaria draft on arena because I enjoy that format and I want to build my arena collection. So I'm killing a couple of birds with one stone. But that format is best of one. And I have all of these ideas about Dominaria limited in my head from having drafted a lot of it in person and drafting a lot of it on Magic Online. But... I have had so many turn one stronghold confessors cast against me in the best of one cues. So this is a one mana, one, one menace that has kicker three. And if you pay the kicker cost, it gets two plus one plus one counters. Borderline unplayable in regular Dominaria Limited. Mm -hmm. But I think that the player base for Arena is operating on a slightly different set of assumptions, which may be worse, but maybe not because i have lost to these one two three starts a fair amount of the time and these are types of decks that i could adjust for post board i could bring in my you know grizzly bears that don't make my my main deck and if we were playing a match it would be different but in this best of one format so it's taking me a while to adjust my assumptions and sometimes i am pretty slow to to adjust from a place where i've gotten myself and i'd like Mm -hmm. to be a little more a little quicker about that especially when it comes to in-game stuff. Right, yeah. Just a little more adaptive to the, the new information. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I get to a place where I've done all this work to like lock myself into some thinking, and then I'm locked into that thinking, and I need to be able to break free of it a little better. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, we all got stuff to work on. Yep. <laughs> but that's, if we didn't, it would be boring. Yes, yeah. absolutely. All right, well, that, I think that's probably it for this episode. So 
Becky, again, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad I was able to talk the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I really, you know, you came here, you said that you were feeling sick, but I didn't notice it at all while we were recording. So, you know, champ. Perfect. <laughs> champ. <laughs> Everybody who's listening, thank you so much for tuning in. All of our patrons, thank you so much for your support. We didn't do this at the beginning of the episode because I was in such a hurry to get <laughs> Becky in. Yeah. Um, but thanks to Eric and Brandon, our newest patrons. Uh, I think one of those might actually be a, a, a bump up in support, which is always very exciting to see. Thank you yeah. for doing that. Um, also worth our appreciation. Yeah, yeah. absolutely worth our appreciation. And uh, we are getting very close. I think we're, we're super, super close to having that uh, ce- ce- celebratory stream. So coming up soon. Anybody who'd like to become a patron, you can head over to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast, or straight to our website, mtggrindcast.com. We've got some tokens, we've got some other rewards, uh, just as a thank you for your support. Definitely appreciate all the help. Uh, anybody who is interested in contacting Collins for some one-on-one coaching services can also find those links through our site. Please do. Um, find us on Twitter. I'm tweeting from at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is on Twitter. At Collins Mullen. And Becky, how can people, where can people find you? How can they get in touch with you? Do you want people to get in touch with you? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. It's uh, Mean Valakut Girl on Twitter. What a surprise. <laughs> Perfect. Cool. Um, all right. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Have a great week. Peace. Peace.